Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Laura Greenfield from lauragreenfield.com and you are listening to episode two of Let's Talk Facilitation. I teach college educators to be outstanding, socially just class discussion facilitators. My primary focus is to help educators, including those who are nervous public speakers, to recognize the potential they already have within themselves to be outstanding facilitators, and then to support them in developing purposeful practices. In the last episode, I addressed how to get students to talk when there is overwhelming silence, and today we're addressing the opposite problem, how to deal with the students who dominate discussion. I'm going to share with you five reasons why certain students tend to dominate, and then five simple strategies in response for what to do when just one or a few students won't stop talking to the exclusion of everyone else. I chose this topic today because it is one of the most common sources of frustration that facilitators share with me, particularly facilitators who are trying to create equitable and accessible spaces for all of their students, and facilitators who worry about causing harm to the overly talkative students by shutting them down. I want you to have tools to create a more fair and balanced opportunity for all of your students to participate, not only to lessen your own frustration, but to lessen the frustration of the other students in the class. Students themselves report that this is one of the most frustrating dynamics that facilitators handle poorly. So if you want students to feel satisfied with their experience in your classes, this is a problem you're going to want to learn how to address effectively. In my experience, no matter the class or the group, there is always that one person who talks way more than their fair share and seems oblivious to the impact on everyone else. When I was pregnant with my second child, I signed up for a childbirth education class. It was a wonderful group of people who got together once a week and was led by a midwife and a trained facilitator. Now, despite the helpfulness of the group, there was one pregnant person in the class who talked and talked and talked way more than their fair share. And it was so irritating. I was there to learn about childbirth, not to learn about this person's life story. It was so irritating, I almost quit the group. Fortunately, the facilitators realized pretty quickly that this person was going to be a challenge, and so they took some proactive steps to make sure other people had a chance to speak. And so I fortunately stayed in the group. However, this isn't always the case. A lot of times, facilitators don't know what to do, and that person continues to dominate and dominate and dominate. Now, as we're looking for solutions, we first want to ask, is it a problem that certain students talk more than others? Well, often the answer is yes, it is a problem because it's not fair to the other students. It creates frustration and it means that less ideas are able to emerge because they're only coming from one or a few individuals. It's also intimidating to other students. It's hard to change up the dynamics when one person's voice uh, takes up most of the airtime. 
it's really hard to break that pattern once it has solidified. Now, at the same time, as much as that is a problem, there are some situations where it might actually make sense for certain voices to have significantly more airtime than others. And I'm thinking in particular about when the subject matter is addressing issues of injustice, of systemic inequality, oppression, violence. These are moments when folks who are targeted by these oppressive systems who choose to speak up in class should be given the floor more so that the rest of the group can learn. This is not a place where everybody necessarily has the same degree of experience and knowledge and insight to offer. And so that imbalance might actually be just what's needed. But here we're going to talk about the context in which that dominant voice is not, in fact, helpful. So first, we want to assess why this student or this small group of students are talking so much. And I think this is true in any situation as a teacher where you are trying to figure out what to do about something that isn't working. I always get to the why when problem solving. So I'm going to share with you five reasons why students might dominate, and then we're going to go back through each one and talk about what you might do uh, in response. So the first reason why a student might dominate is that they're simply outgoing, they're energetic, and they're excited about what they're talking about, and they get a little carried away. Number two, another reason that a student might dominate um, is because they think they're helping you. They are worried that your feelings are going to be hurt or that there's going to be a long, awkward silence if nobody says anything. And so they think by constantly jumping in, they're in fact doing you and the class a service. A third reason that a student might dominate is simply because they lack a certain kind of social awareness. Uh, they may not have learned to pick up on particular cues, or you may be assuming that everyone should have a neurotypical response, um, whereas some people, uh, such as those with um, autism spectrum disorder, um, may read social cues differently and can't pick up on the subtle messages from the group. So the kind of sort of fidgeting and looking away and a steady stream of other hands raised that might um, cue in a neurotypical person that they're speaking too much might not catch the attention of someone else. Number four reason why a person might dominate a discussion is that they might feel more knowledgeable or more experienced about the subject than their peers and are trying to be a leader in the class. That might be coming from a place of wanting to help teach or it might be coming from a place of ego of wanting to show off their superior knowledge. And finally, a reason why a student might dominate is they might themselves hold a dominant social identity and might have been conditioned to behave in a way that perpetuates certain oppressive patterns. In other words, because of their social identity, they might have been taught that they are entitled to take up that amount of space. So those are the five reasons that we're going to discuss. We're going to go back now and look at each one in turn and address what to do about it. So 
going back to number one, that the dominant student is really just outgoing and energetic and they got carried away in the moment because they were excited about what they were talking about. In my experience, students in this position tend to be the most responsive to redirection, that they are less likely to be defensive um, and more likely to care that they are having um, a negative impact on others. So in response to this sort of student, I would encourage you not to be shy to interrupt them and call it to their attention, but to do so in a kind way. So you might say something such as, thank you so much, student. It's time to hear from someone else now. Or you might say, that is such a helpful point. I wonder if anyone else has a response. Or you might say, thank you for your enthusiasm, student, but we've got to leave time for others. So oftentimes with this kind of enthusiastic student, simply a little reminder that they've gone on a bit too much and it's time for someone else is enough to make them say oops and pull back um, and create that space for others. Now the second student that we discussed is one who is dominating because they think that doing so is helpful. They are worried that you um, are uncomfortable with the silence and they don't want you to feel bad if nobody else is responding to your prompt. So they are um, a quietly, or not so quietly, trying to have your back. So what to do about this kind of situation? Well, I have found that it is helpful to establish at the beginning of a course or even at the beginning of a particular conversation that you are extremely comfortable with so-called awkward silence. In other words, you might say that you welcome that silence, that you think it's important for people to have the time to think through their comments before jumping right in. And so you are going to, in fact, value moments of pause in the conversation as people are preparing to speak. And so emphasizing your uh, willingness to sit in that silence can hopefully cue in those who are uncomfortable with it to, to pull back. And you can even say explicitly, don't worry about me. It doesn't hurt my feelings if someone doesn't answer a question. I don't need help in that way. My goal is for you all to learn. And if people are confused or stuck or need more time, I am perfectly happy to offer that. Another part of that framing discussion could be explaining the purpose of the discussion. Um, so you might make it clear that you are not looking for people to come up with the right answer. This is not a, a quiz, um, but rather you're looking for collective participation. You're looking for multiple students to share lots of different ideas so that we can be exposed to different points of view or build on one another's ideas and questions. And so that the goal is not simply for you to hear certain answers, but really to get everybody talking. So hopefully that can provide a little bit of prevention of this sort of student feeling tempted to speak up. But even when they just can't help it and they want to jump in, and, and rush to your aid, you might see, for example, that they're raising their hand and say something like, I see your hand, student, and I appreciate it. But before I call on you, I'd like to hear from someone who hasn't spoken up yet today. And then after making that sort of statement, wait. And no matter what, do not resort to calling on them next. 
And it might be really tempting, especially if there's lots of awkward silence. But if you give in and say, okay, student, no one else had anything to say, it's all you now. Uh, what that does is it sends the message to the rest of the group that if everybody just waits long enough, this student will eventually get the, the next word in. And so what you do is you condition people to be quiet. And so you want to show the class that you are willing to wait as long as it takes for somebody else to speak up. And then they are more likely in the future to raise their hands and participate. So number three, the third reason a student might dominate is because they lack social awareness. They may not be neurotypical. They may not have developed an ability to read certain social cues. And so how you respond to this sort of student is going to be very different than uh, the other two approaches. Now, one uh, approach that I encourage is to give a little bit of grace, forcing people to pass as neurotypical by... Uh, teaching particular cues and expecting them to follow them really is not kind and overall is, is not effective or helpful. So, you know, give people a little leeway if they tend to, to talk a bit much or um, not pick up on the messages their peers are silently sending. Um, but you can also provide some guidance to the class as a whole about participation expectations independent of the need for individual students to pick up on social cues. So rather than teaching social cues, we're going to identify several concrete processes that students can use to determine should I speak or not. So for example, you might say that everyone in the class uh, has opportunity to comment three times during the discussion. And once you have used up your three comments, then you are done for today and your, your role in the discussion is as a listener um, and the other students now become the speakers. So you could have sort of an objective number that everybody follows. Um, or a variation of that might be coming up with something like, um, once somebody makes a comment, please don't comment again until at least five other people have contributed verbally. Um, and so that way somebody can just sit and count and they know that once five other people have spoken, then it's perfectly welcome for them to raise their hand again. So there are many other um, tricks like this that you could come up with to provide a little bit of structure to the discussion. Um, another opportunity would be to talk to that individual privately um, to address their role in the class. But I would encourage you to do so um, cautiously um, and carefully and make sure that the uh, gist of the discussion is about inviting them to learn uh, through listening versus shutting them down. Um, such students might be particularly sensitive to what feels like an attack. Um, so tread lightly um, in those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Okay, number four, reasons students might dominate a discussion is because they feel that they're more knowledgeable or they have more experience than their peers on the subject, and therefore it makes sense for them to be a leader in the discussion. And maybe their sense of superior knowledge is accurate, and maybe it isn't. And so maybe this is coming from a good place of wanting to help, or maybe it's lacking a bit of self-awareness and it's a bit driven by their ego. 
So how do you respond to this sort of student? Well, because they are seeking to be a leader in the class, you can tap into that desire. And rather than shutting them down, you can solicit their help as a leader in the class. So in other words, yeah, use a little bit of flattery to get them as an ally in your teaching. And so this might be asking them after class or in office hours or even over email, um, though I do prefer in-person conversations, um, to um, rather than making comments, ask them if they could please pose questions to their peers to help get their peers thinking in creative ways. Or you might ask the student if they'd be willing to facilitate a discussion uh, during one of the class meetings. And so this would force the student to pose questions and listen rather than to speak as their primary role. Um, or you might invite the student to come to office hours to solicit their input on how to engage other students. And so this gives you a little insight into their thinking and it gets them thinking about how their peers are experiencing the class. So it invites them to put themselves in the other student's place and think about what might be inhibiting them or what might draw them in. And so again, this is not shutting down the student's engagement. It's in fact giving them a bit of a promotion, um, but encouraging them to shift to um, engaging their peers as opposed to lecturing their peers. And finally, what do you do when your student is dominating the discussion because a social identity that they hold is one that is dominant and they have been conditioned through an oppressive system to believe that they are entitled to dominate that space and may in fact even be oblivious to the fact that that's what they're doing. Well, this is a hard one, but I've got some starting points for an answer. One of the things would be to discuss with the entire class, again, at the beginning of the semester or um, at, a, at a moment where you can spend a good amount of time addressing the ways that patterns of communication are impacted by systems of oppression. And so you could talk about some common patterns to be on the lookout for as a participant in a group discussion. And so these might be things such as the tendency to interrupt marginalized students, the tendency to um, argue with or dismiss the contributions of marginalized students, um, the tendency to simply take up more time, um, and, and so forth. So you might talk about this so the whole class can be on the lookout so when such a pattern emerges, other students feel more empowered to intervene and help you out. So this is not all just on your shoulders to solve. With this kind of student, it is important to be courageous in cutting them off, uh, particularly if that student is belligerent in their commentary, um, because usually this is not an isolated incident. So different from the one student who just got a bit excited and carried away, this is a student who has a history of patterned behavior um, and is likely going to be defensive um, if you try to more subtly navigate around it. And so what you might do is, um, is cut them off as they're speaking and be very direct in inviting the student to participate only by listening rather than speaking. And that may be uh, look like something 
such as, uh, listen, student, uh, thank you very much for your contributions today. Um, however, we are addressing sexism. And because of the nature of this discussion, we would like to prioritize the voices of folks who are targeted by sexism to discuss their experiences. And so I'm going to invite you to step back from speaking in the discussion and use today as an opportunity to really listen, to get new insights about experiences that are different from your own. And if you have questions about that expectation, I'm happy to talk with you more after class. And from there, that student does not get the floor for the rest of class. Now, it might feel um, intimidating to have to cut someone off in that kind of way, um, but I have found that that is really the only effective method is to take away the platform uh, from that sort of student. And as uncomfortable and as awkward as it may be, and even with the pushback that you may get as a result, you are doing the right thing by disrupting oppressive patterns and therefore implicitly supporting the marginalized or targeted students in the group. Now, getting dominant students to pull back is just part of the puzzle. The other part is getting the rest of the class to speak up. I put together a free PDF for you titled The Ultimate Quick Start Guide to Getting Students to Talk. If you want to feel more prepared in generating a lively, full class conversation, I want you to check out this free guide for a bunch of simple strategies you can use right away in your very next class to more confidently get everyone talking. So head over to lauragreenfield.com forward slash two, that's the number two, to grab your copy of the PDF, The Ultimate Quick Start Guide to Getting Students to Talk. Thanks so much for listening in today, and until next time, happy teaching.